You have questions about the Vikings interior offensive line? So do we. So let's talk about it. Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury, and Ed Ingram are all returning. And they also have the same group of backups with one unique exception in UDFA Allen Ali. What does all that mean for this year and the future of the Minnesota Vikings interior? Let's talk about it here on The Real Forno Show. Real Forno Show. Hosted by Tyler Fornis, the managing editor of USA Today's Vikings Wire. Writer for the College Football Network. Publisher of Substack Run in Shooter. Host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, as well as a founding member of Vikings First and Skull. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Real Forno Show. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, and as always, top right corner producer Dave. Bottom right corner outside of the screen is Odie, and thank you very much for joining us here on this Wednesday evening. I see Dan, Michael, Mary, and I, there, I know there are more of you, but I'm waiting for them to show up in the comments. Thank you very much for joining. Let's have some fun. Obviously, the, the easiest way to have fun with us every single week, like, comment, subscribe. You guys know the deal. And everything that you do for us is greatly appreciated. So we can give back to you. And today, we're going to be talking about Dave's favorite group, the true big uglies of the offensive line in the interior. And Dave, let's start off here. The interior is very interesting. It's not great. It's not bad. But what kind of upside does it really have? And how much continuity will factor into the season are two things that I'm very intrigued by. Because last year was about installing the offense. This year is about building on that, that success and trying to sure up some of those weak areas. The weakest area of the team, boom, the interior offensive line. And I'm very curious as to how it's going to get better. It can get better. It absolutely can. But will it? How will it? These are going to be the questions that we're going to be addressing here tonight. And Dave, broad outlook on this group. How do you feel about them? I'm okay. I'm okay with what we're going into. We're going into another year of constant improvement. Uh, that's a good thing. Last year, they weren't as bad as people think. Yes, they were at pass blocking, and that is a sore subject. But as overall, they weren't that bad. Now, I do believe with that continuity, second year in the same system, they know the calls, they know what's expected. You have a second year in a row under the same offensive line coach. And we're talking the one that got Garrett Bradbury to play the best he's ever played. I think, I think things are looking up for the team and for the offense. I don't think they're going to be the Achilles heel this season. Like they were at times last season, put it that way. Yeah, it's, I think the Achilles heel is a really great way to put it. And let's start in the middle. Garrett Bradbury. Obviously he was a weak link since he got drafted and he was drafted specifically because he was incredibly quick and able to get to that second level really well. And in the wide zone, having a center that can do that can really elevate your offense to a different level. 
That's why guys like Kyle Shanahan, Matt Fleur, Kevin Stefanski, they've all prioritized those centers. And the reason why I bring up Stefanski, even though he was here, he did draft center Nick Harris out of Washington to be basically his Garrett Bradbury. He got him in like round three or four. A different type of value. So we're not talking about over overdrafting a guy in round one. And I don't even necessarily think it was an overdraft by the Vikings. It felt like a sure thing. It, yeah, he was the pro- Remington Award winner. He was the best center in college football. They were praised for the pick because it made sense to, by value, by fit, by need. Like everything just kind of pieced together. The really tough part is everybody knew what his weaknesses were, and his weaknesses were dire. I don't know if dire is the right word, but they were blatant. Because they were blatant, you had to work around those or hope they got better. You really haven't gotten much better. He's learned how to utilize leverage a little bit. There was a great improvement last year. You you know me. I was the one complaining he'd always plant his feet and get bent up and then pushed over. Or he gets forklifted. Forklifted, if a guy can pick you up, that's there's really nothing you can do about that. But he would plant his feet, get pushed over, and fall backwards. That was never good. Last year... He got to where, and I attribute this to coaching, to where when he hiked the ball and he's dropped back into pass protection, he kept his balance over the balls of his feet where it should be, planted, kept his feet moving, and kept, like you said, leverage. So he's there at that point where he's trying you know, to block and you don't have a guy that's rolling him over on his back the majority of the time. That is an improvement by him. His feet moved more. His balance was better. It was where it was supposed to be, the center of gravity. And that came through coaching. It's the only thing I can attribute to because he did do it in the first three seasons of his career. That came through coaching. So I'm cool with that. Now take the next step. Yeah. I didn't see it consistently. And obviously there were flashes where he was really able to do some of those things you were talking about. And one of the biggest instances of showing that improvement was against Philadelphia Eagles. Now look, the Vikings stunk against the Philadelphia Eagles. Bradbury had some impressive reps. And one that really stood out to me was he got up in Jordan Davis's pads. If you don't know Jordan Davis, 15th overall pick six, six, size adjusted, like third best athlete to ever come out of the combine. Dude at 345 ran a 47840. Just an absolute freakazoid athlete. Gets under his pads right here and pushes him up. So whenever you see offensive linemen and defensive linemen playing with that sled in practice, playing is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. They're trying to get <laughs> underneath and push up. When you push forward, it doesn't work. You got to get up and under so you can leverage. And I thought that element of his game was more improved. He he seemed to be able to utilize what he has more rather than showing real improvement. And I think understanding what you are and what your limitations are and how you can maximize your ability is something that he did very well. Yeah, and I thought still an yeah. improvement over his first three years in the seat. Yeah. And the reason why I'm framing it this way, Dave, is I'm not expecting him to show massive improvement moving forward. He kind of is what he is. And 
I think if you can continue to see little technique improvements, he is going to get bowled over. He is going to get forklifted from time to time because he's a smaller guy and he does not have that strength. And Anthony brings up in the chat uh, that he's upset that we didn't draft Creed Humphrey. You are preaching to the choir, my man. If you watched our live draft coverage in 2021, Dave will tell you, I was yelling at the, the camera every time that the Vikings were up or we talked about him. Like, look, Creed Humphrey's the 12th player on my board. We should go get him. I don't care if it's the center. Go get him. Go get him. He's that good. And look at what he's doing. He's going to reset the center market once he gets his extension. Creed Humphrey is an excellent, excellent football player. And I wish and, we would have gotten. And this year, we wish we got the kid from Minnesota. But, nah, I'm fine that we didn't get John Michael Schmitz. I'm I am upset we didn't get Creed Humphrey. John Michael Schmitz, I I I can live with or without. I I didn't okay. think he was. I I didn't think he was as like kind of a transcendent player as Humphreys. Um, yeah, I I thought Humphrey was a transcendent type center. Like he can shape your line. Six six three twenty moves really well. Handles leverage great, and that's a big thing with centers. If you're too big, you can get out leveraged, but just like Garrett Bradbury leveraged Jordan Davis, Creed Humphrey goes against Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's six foot and like five eights. Donald could just get up underneath you. And that can be a problem if you're not keeping your base low enough. And when you come off the ball, you have to be careful to not explode too, too high because then you can get taken advantage of with that leverage. And that that's a big deal. Um, Davey in the comments is saying, uh, watching Shark Tank end this show. Hey, sorry, Shark Week. I've been, I have been six seasons of Shark Tank in the last two and a half weeks. So that's where my mind is. Shark Week rules and that I'm being put next to Shark Week. I will take that. Thank you very much. Um, I see Raymond, Narcephus, Dan, Patrick, Adam in the chat, Justin. Guys, thanks for joining. We're gonna we're gonna move on and we're gonna talk about let's let's talk about Ezra Cleveland before we get to Ed Ingram. Cleveland, I I want to start this conversation, Dave, talking more about the future with Ezra Cleveland in this group. Ezra is fine. He's a fine guard. He's average to slightly above average. In this day and age, once he hits the free agent market, he's probably gonna get ten million dollars a year. Long term, if the Vikings want to keep him, they got to sign him now and they got to hope it's seven or eight million. Because if he has another good season, that would I think be a steal. Yeah. And I, I think for seven or eight million, you feel comfortable with that. We had this conversation with Garrett Bradbury last year. I think when you talk about player per position, Ezra Cleveland is a better player at his position and Garrett Bradbury is at his. And then, one of the things I talk about a lot is guards don't matter. And if you've never heard me say that, what I mean by guards don't matter is just be average. Just be average. Ezra Cleveland is an average to above average guard. That's perfect. If Ed Ingram gets to that level or better, hell yeah. You can work with that. You want your center to be really, really good. You, ha- you have really good tackles. So if the Vikings had Derisaw, Creed Humphrey, and Brian O'Neill, you could put paper bags at guard, and I, I, I'd feel pretty comfortable with that offensive line, <laughs> just because now you have you have 
three elite level pieces just get average at those spots. That's why guards don't matter. That's also the same kind of um, epitome of why running backs don't matter. Dan addressed that uh, Ezra might want to go off and try to play tackle somewhere because he was drafted as a tackle. I'm going to say that. Never, except for a couple snaps in a preseason, used as a tackle. I'm going to say this, and I, I think we need to address this, Dave. Anybody who's feeding you that Ezra Cleveland might want to play tackle, unless they're getting it directly from Ezra Cleveland, I don't think it, I don't think is actually giving you facts. I think they're giving you speculation because he was drafted as a tackle. Now, Dave, if you're a f- guy in a front office and you have a guy who's a four year starter at guard, but came out as a tackle, who's you're giving that guy guard. an opportunity to tackle? Nobody. Nobody's paying him to play tackle. That you don't have any evidence you can be an NFL tackle other than projection, speculation, and you have the traits to do so. But if your original team drafted you in the second round where they needed a left tackle and never let you play left tackle, why should I pay you to play left tackle? And I think, and I, this isn't me like ripping on Dan. I think Dan's a great dude. We've had plenty of good conversations. I, I don't think that we can take the that kind of thing seriously because Dan's not pulling that from nowhere. A lot of people have had these speculations. Mm-hmm. I want to hear it from a source that's getting it directly from the Cleveland camp before we actually take that seriously. Plus, if I'm running a front office, I'm not giving that guy a market contract to try playing left tackle. No way. That, you can't do that. You you give him money. You're going to play guard, and we'll we'll see how it works out at tackle. And most people okay. got to realize that out of all the guards in the NFL, I think it's well over fifty percent are signed or drafted or tackles, and they get moved to that position. Tackle's incredibly hard to play because you have to deal with a lot. You have to deal with a freaky speed rushers. How would you feel, Dave, trying to block Miles Garrett? Yeah, no, it's hey, Justin said it just a minute ago. Yeah, and His I'd rather play against average D lines and bad lines. They're great. It's when you get against the great defensive lines, Philly, San Francisco, Dallas, that the matchups get a little bit rough. My All right, let's address this from Patrick here. He's curious why he was immediately moved to guard uh, when drafted when we had below average reef at the time. He wasn't below average. He was average or slightly above. Like he was a good, solid left tackle. He just had his limitations. It. He was a better version at left tackle than Garrett Bradbury is at center. Excuse me. He could get beat with speed. He wasn't going to get beat like blowing him out up with power. He wasn't going to get beat with a lot of counter moves, but if you got a half a step on the snap, you could beat him around the corner. And that was his only real weakness. And he got a lot of flack, but he had nothing playing next to him for so long. Like to me, that's it kind of is what it is. And I think the Cleveland thing was more, I'll have to try and remember how the reporting was because this was COVID. So it was a little wonky. They kind of moved. He got got drafted before COVID. He got, he was the COVID draft. 
Was he? I would have sworn the year before. Nope. 2020. And they moved him to guard during camp. To me, it felt like, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, because there's a chance I am here. It felt like they moved him to guard because they needed a guard. And then he played well enough. They just kept him there and they never wanted to move him out to tackle, which is why they drafted Derisaw the next year. No, oh, I, pretty no, much so. They needed a guard. He beat out everybody on the right side to keep the spot, and they kept him there. And then the next year, they moved him over to left, which was the best move they could have made. Mm-hmm. And he continued to grow, and he's grown the year after that, last year. Yeah. And I expect him to grow this year. Now, when it comes to his run blocking, he's close to elite. Mm-hmm. On his grades, it's it's the pass blocking that needs to needs at least a ten point jump. Yeah. Okay. So l- let's talk about this from Davey before we move on. Um, oh, where, where did um, Vikings have always drafted guys only to, to switch them to play another position with great success? Okay, I need to readjust because my butt hurts. I still haven't bought that pillow. Um, so. Here's the thing with offensive linemen. If you're a backup, you need to play multiple positions. You can't just be a, I am only playing left tackle. That's not how it works. You got to be able to play on the right side. I think Unless you're the best left tackle since sliced bread. Yes. But th- th- then you're not a backup. So that, right. that's a completely moot point. Having Cleveland learn how to play guard because he wasn't going to get a lot of reps to tackle was a smart move. Your backups should know how to play multiple positions. Now, was it smart for his long-term development? Would he have been better as a tackle? We can have those conversations. And honestly, they're good conversations have, because I think uh, it has merit on both sides, but drafting like an uh, offensive lineman in the top five and immediately just moving him side to guard. That that can and that's where you want his long term future to be. That's different than hey, I just want to get my best five out on the field. Ohio State did that with Paris Johnson Jr. Now, if you remember him, he went number six overall to the Arizona Cardinals this year, 2021. Started all year at right guard. Why? He was a five star and he was just one of their best offensive linemen. So guess what? He ended up uh, getting well. Watch him call it. Uh, he ended up just playing there because they wanted their best five on the field. Or Cephas, yeah, I probably do. I don't know. I don't have hemorrhoids, but my tailbone just hurts. I don't. I don't. He needs one of those saddles type cushions with the tailbone cut out in the back. Yeah, probably for a long time it, sitting. It just stinks because I'm. I bought this chair and paid seven hundred dollars for it specifically to be a good chair. And boom. All right, but. Now I got to remember where I was at. Michael yeah. just put up something interesting. Are the Vikings truly developing interior alignment at a pace that really strengthens the unit as a whole? That's a good question. I don't think we're going to know that for a couple of years. And I, that's not necessarily a great answer, but it's the only answer we can give right now because we just don't know how this staff and front office is going to develop talent. Take a look at. Quasi Dolfo Mensa, 
we're relying on so many of his draft picks to be big contributors this year. It's are are we going to see really good performances from Ty Chandler and Asesi Odomewo? I don't know, but stuff like that is going to be really key at differentiating what the what this future is, and I I really don't know. Um, I do have lumbar support in here. Maybe I just need to tighten it up. I actually think. I think it's already pumped up, but yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at it. Ah, well, I can, I figured out how to move my chair on on live television. (laughs) No, it's going to take a while. We're going to be looking at. Hi buddy. Who are the linemen drafted over the last couple of years and how they develop under the new regime, Kevin O'Connell and in particular, and I forgot the line coach's name. Um, how they developed at that time, Chris Cooper. Now, like, luckily, because O'Connell is an offensive guy, the offensive staff tends to stay until they do extremely well, and then we might lose Phillips to a head coaching job, even though I don't think he's the head coaching type nor desires it. Those guys tend to stay. That tends to develop those players on that side of the ball better and long-term than does the opposite side. You know, we saw some good defensive players through Zimmer's time period up until the last couple of years. It works the same way on the offense. And I, if you had wanted, had to pick one or the other, I'm picking the offense to be the superstar studs and then just outscore everybody. That's the goal. And I hope that this works. I expect it to. Like I said, the Vikings offensive line last year, Darren and I talked about it Sunday. We got real and deep, deep in, into it. We talked about the difference between PFF and we talked about the difference between football outsiders, DVOA. PFF grades individual player, each individual player individually. Did they win their block? It's real simple when it comes to an alignment. Did you win your block? Yes or no? It could be run blocking, it could be pass blocking. Did you win your block? Right? And it all gets graded from there. And then they take their composite and they run their deal and they go, hey, the Vikings line was ranked 13th last year. And they're predicted to be 15th this year because there's a couple teams that moved ahead of them. Not that it changed much. Whereas DVOA looked at the production that the offensive line gave last year as a whole, and they ranked them 25th. And that better matched the Mark 1 eyeball. What we saw with, if you combine the two, you're looking at players that are playing well, especially in the run game. Yes, on the interior three, they need to improve their pass blocking greatly. But even Bradbury did a little bit. And then with the continuity of being there, knowing each other, developing that ESP, knowing that if you see Ed Ingram's hand go up, that means he's trying to do this or whatever. And it's not just a signal. It's how he's positioning himself and whatever. You see it out of your peripheral vision. They play better, and they should increase. Cooper will have them playing better. 
as we saw at Ingram, and we're about to get into him, improved over the season. You get all three of them doing that in a more macro term in the second season, they should move up. Now, will they be a top 10 offensive line? I strongly doubt it. But part of that also is how well, how well do they play during the season? How far do they go? The 2017 Vikings, right? That was the best offensive line rating of all of Zimmer's tenure. Why was it the best? It's not necessarily because they played better than any of the other ones. It's because their accumulation and how they played together as a team was so much better because we got all the way to the NFC Championship before we choked. And it's that combination of winning, that combination of the continuity, being together, learning each other, the psychological, the not psychological, the ESP sort of connection, all helps to improve. That's what I expect this season. Can they do it? Yes. Do I expect it? Yes. Is there room for improvement? There's a shit ton. Let's do it. And we'll be okay. Sorry. Something I care deeply about. And for, you know those, what I and for those that are asking, tonight I'm drinking uh, wild turkey, rare breed, rye. It's 112 point something proof. It's a little hot uh, going down the back of the throat. High alcohol content, but it's got nice flavor notes. Do I wish it was a Texas rye? Yes. But I'm out of my Texas rye. I'm looking forward to getting one. Devil's River makes a good rye. And why I like Devil's Bourbon, Devil, Devil's River Bourbon, brewed or distilled down in San Antonio, is that it's got a 29% rye in their mash bill. It's just not all corn and malt or wheat. Sorry for the distraction. I'll get off my soapbox. You're you're distracting me so much that I'm looking at uh, Prime Day deals. Maybe <laughs> maybe getting some orange luggage. Hey, it makes it easy to see. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. All right, let's talk about Ed Ingram. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let's address the elephant in the room right now. Never forget that he was... Oh, shit. I forgot. I've got graphics for all of this. Yeah, how dare you, Dave? I know. Stop focusing on your bourbon. Focus on the show. Come on. There he is. No, My boy. Um, Big Ed. It's, it's frustrating, but do, like just because he's he's a Viking now and he's improving, don't forget that he was he was accused of some really, really bad things. Just don't forget that. Okay. Now let's talk about the player. The player himself is very interesting. He wasn't really a fit for a wide zone because he's much more of a power guy. He's not going to be super quick, but he's very strong and he's able to really take advantage of that strength, especially once he grips you. So that grip strength, see the hands grab onto like right here. Like I'm trying to, there we go. 
this this hand okay see grab on to ed ingram's shoulders and you kind of attach it i'm i'm all over the place with my gestures tonight i'm better than shark week woo (laughs) once he grabs onto you he's not letting go and he's going to be able to pulverize you and and finish and that was something that we talked about on monday with christian derisaw where he's starting to really finish guys and drive them into the ground that's important here it's very important. Pancakes. Yes. I love me some pancakes. I might actually make some pancakes for breakfast tomorrow. I haven't decided yet. But when you look at all the things included here, Ingram needs some work. And one of the areas he really needed work, I, I identified it in the preseason, and it became a theme. He would overset. Now, here's what oversetting means. Basically, you're just overcompensating. So... If you're guarding somebody in basketball and they give like a head fake to go to the left and then you completely sell it to go to the left, he just runs right by you. Easy layup. Kind of the same thing with the offensive lineman. When he gets into his pass set, he's getting a little too far to one side and then he's getting taken advantage of on the other side and he doesn't have the quickness to be able to get over and do some of those crazy blocks. A guy like Garrett Bradbury with that quickness, he can get away with some of that stuff because he has enough quickness to get back in front of the defensive lineman. Whether he's strong enough is a whole different question, Dave. But Whereas Ingram is strong enough. He's strong enough to hold you at the point of attack. He's not quick enough to overcompensate for what he screwed up. And that was a big criticism from him, from O-line experts all last season. Mm -hmm. He showed some improvement towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Now, he did. He had 1,225 total snaps, 816 pass blocking snaps. That is a big number. He was one of the few starters that played the entire game against the Chicago Bears. Why did he play the entire game? Well, one, you don't have that many offensive linemen. Two, he needed the reps. That's why the Vikings let him struggle all season because it wasn't a one-year play. This was letting him work through it, figure it out, learn how to how to do things in real time, and then all of a sudden, you're able to translate it to future success. And that's the big thing with that Ingram future success. That's why they let him fail so much. I got a question. What? We know that Kevin O'Connell does not like to play starters during a preseason. Mm -hmm. However, last preseason, he played Ed Ingram in each game. Well, it was also different. He didn't have the job sealed up. He was trying to earn it. True. I was wondering if Ed Ingram gets some starts this preseason or if he's going to be on the you know the joint practice and that's it my guess is he'll he'll get more playing time than other players because you want to continue to get him live reps to get more comfortable to feel better about have him feel better about playing the position and have you feel better about him playing the position the the tough part about offensive line is you need reps you need to see it live. You need to be able to understand what your feet are doing and be able to sync it up with your upper half. You need to be un- understand that. Hey, I overset here. You go to the sideline. Guess who's telling you offensive line coach. Hey, you are over committing to one side. You need to square it up. You need to like when you open up in your stance. So he's, if he's standing right there as the guard, you open up too much like this. 
guess what? This inside shoulder is getting taken advantage of because he can just come at me and attack and blast me off of my axis. And I don't have the strength with this hand to be able to stop him without grabbing a hold or doing like a horse collar. Like, or that, that use the leverage. If you're too far closed, grab it and close it more and literally spin him. That was yeah, the move that, I, I loved using. If somebody oh, turned their shoulder God. to me, I'd pull that sucker closed and go right behind their back. It, it's it's a wonderful technique. Now, you talked about lack of reps. Part of that is become because of the the rules regarding preseasons now and training camps. The guys can't get on the pads. They can't practice at full speed. And it's longer and longer before the offensive linemen get to hit. And the defensive linemen for that matter, but the defensive linemen are, they're not reacting. They're attacking. Offensive linemen have to work on the reaction, right? Run blocking, they're attacking for the most part. They're they're aiming for a specific spot in space, or they're aiming for a shoulder, across a helmet, wherever it is, they're attacking. That's easier. But it's that reaction of pass blocking, I've now got to set up, and that defensive lineman can do whatever. And he's bobbing in front of me, and I've got to be able to know how to do it. There are less opportunities for that. That's why we see that uh, defenses tend to have a little advantage in the early part of the season because the offensive linemen haven't gotten into that rhythm like they used to, even though they know the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, and it's also one of the main reasons why week one is such a crapshoot because there isn't as much cohesiveness. There's one thing talking about practice simulated games. There's another thing when I'm on the other side of Dave and I'm trying to hit you with malicious intent. It's Mm -hmm. different. Professional wrestlers talk about it a lot. If you're away from the ring to heal up, your body gets calloused. So when you take a bump on a professional wrestling mat, it's padded it still hurts, but your body gets callous. So if you're taking just a flat back bump where you just land flat on your back, you extend your arms out and then they hit the the mat too, to kind of spread the shock throughout your entire body. Well, you take a couple months off from not taking any bumps and that callus is gone. It's like, Oh man, that hurt. You got to build that back up. It's kind of the same thing with football players. Mm -hmm. That's why we do up downs. And, Mm -hmm. When we start two a days, one of the first things we're doing is up-downs. Up-downs, up-downs, up-downs. Dave, what's with up-downs? No, you're literally thwomp onto the ground. Get back up, jump up, thwomp back onto the ground. And we do a series of them, and it's to help tighten that up. And then you do blocking drills, and it's to hit. And back in the day, we did Oklahoma drills as well. But anyways, we do full contact. Boom, boom. And it's literally to toughen up like a boxer, right? A, when a boxer goes into training, they start taking blows, right? And they build up the core. Bam, 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 bam. And it's done on purpose. And you do that in football relatively the same as well. You learn how to block, how to position your head, how to, you know, and you're slamming bodies together and learning that, yeah, you may be bruised afterwards, but you're toughening up and it gets to the point where 
when you're talking about offensive line and hitting with malicious intent, when you're when you're on the offensive and defensive line, you're hitting as hard as you can because you're wanting to beat that other guy. There's no patty cake, patty cake. That only comes with quarterbacks now. You are trying to inflict as much force as you can to win your rep. And part of that, it toughens the body. You've got to be able to take that hit as well as deliver it. And I think, I think that's a big thing. And that was one of the real, the, to tie it back to Ed Ingram, that was one of the really nice parts about Ingram. He came in without anchor concerns. That was, that was fantastic. And he could really take that step back and prevent guys from just blowing him out. It was the quickness element. That was a struggle. And he, he was a little raw in a lot of his technique work. And you saw that early on. Yeah. And I think that that was really good. And it was a really fascinating um, case study this year. He, I'm going to be watching his tape intently this year. I want to see how he's grown, how he's improved. And that, that could be a lot of fun. Well, um, and North, as we he, saw early, he tended to, when he used the kick step, right? Sort of like a tackle. Yeah. He kicked too far out. And that brought him too far out of position and they had to adjust or he stepped too far back right on the Kirk cousin's foot. And it's those things he's, he's going to learn to shorten that up. So where he can fight in the phone booth. There is a, there's a guy better. on Twitter that, that his uh, profile name is Ed Ingram's left foot. And it's yeah. funny. And it is um, funny. He's a good fan of uh, Norse code to be exact. He's one of them. And, one bar in Lupkus. Very nice. All right. Narcephus mentions uh, getting Alex Boone on the pod. He is a very busy guy. I'm not going to commit to it, but I, I can maybe talk to Mackie and see if I can get connected because I think having a conversation at some point during the season with Boone to talk about the improvement of guys like Ed Ingram and Christian Derrissaw, I think would be a, a really fun show and a good benefit to you guys as viewers. I, I'm not going to say yes, we'll be able to do it, but we'll at least inquire and see how that looks. Now, if um, you want to yeah. talk linemen, Mackie, Booney, and Jeremiah Searles have started a separate podcast, and I forgot what it was called, and a YouTube page where they're covering it all the time. Phil is basically being the MC and letting those two guys riff. Because mm-hmm. it is an absolute blast to listen to. Phil's great at directing and he understands the game. He understands how things work, but he doesn't have like a lot of that nitty gritty stuff, which is why he's a, he's a brilliant, he's a point guard. Mm-hmm. He's one of the best point guards in all of audio because he knows how to set people up and he knows how to get things going and build it up. And he understands so much about so about so many different things and once you get two guys who just know so many nitty gritty details, it's it's it makes for really good audio. Um, so let's uh, talk about a couple more things. I have a I have a something I have to get to right at seven. So we'll kind of end the show just a little bit early today. The backups are very interesting here. Austin Schlotman mm-hmm. replacing level center coming off of a broken ankle has a one year veteran minimum deal. No guaranteed money. I like 
I, I don't know if he's going to make the team, and I'll tell you why as we continue to go on. Chris Reed learned how to play center last year. I'm curious how much better he's gotten at it because week 17 was okay. But people really look like I, I'm trying to think of the right verbiage here. They they overlook how important this, the quarterback center exchange is. And when that, that is bad, it's bad. Um, it, if you watch quarterback today, which somebody mentioned earlier in the chat, the Falcons essentially lost week one against the Saints because of a bad quarterback center exchange. It was third and one. Mariota fumbles it, gets no gain. And the Saints win by one on a last second field goal. Right, Odie? Yeah, I hear you, bud. <laughs> yes. Um, Gary put up. He wrote online committee. It's called o- the O-line committee is the name of the show. Look for the O-line committee on YouTube, and you will find Mackie, Jeremiah Searles, and Alex Boone. And it's an absolute blast. And they do tape breakdowns as well. Yep. It's also on podcast. Uh, but I, I will say this. Reed is a really good guard, and when you have a fan base, like this kind of tells you a lot, and then once you dive into the film, it tells you even more. Because that's, that's really what makes it that's really what answers the question all right they were upset that the vikings got reed because they didn't want to lose him um and yes dave i know can't i need to finish a thought here all right um (laughs) hey it's not the hundredth show i'm not hijacking it i see the comments just let, let me get on my thought all right they didn't want to lose him because he was a really good player and the vikings they got him to take a pay cut, but in exchange for that pay cut, Dave, Chris Reed is guaranteed $800,000 or it's 600. It's one of the two He's guaranteed a good portion of his contract. And that's a lot of times when you could guys take pay cuts, they get guarantees. So no matter what they're getting X amount, the Vikings could have cut Jordan Hicks for 1.5 million in dead cap. They cut his salary by 1.5 million, but it's fully guaranteed. So Jordan Hicks, no matter what's getting 3.5 million from the Vikings, that that, that's kind of how some of those things work. It's a give and take. That's how you compromise. And I think Reed's going to make the team no matter what, because he has that guard center versatility. That's a huge benefit. The two guys behind him. I don't think much of Josh Sokol at all. Second, year guy at a sacred heart. I think he's just, he's just kind of there. The one that I have a lot of intrigue about is Alan Ali, the UDFA from TCU. Started out at, at SMU, played left guard his first year in 2018, then moved over to center and played that throughout the rest of his career. Followed head coach Sonny Dykes from SMU to TCU, and he played in the national championship game this past year. Much more of a technician. He's also like Creed Humphrey, big dude, 6'6", over 300 pounds. But he's got he's more of a technician, and he's got a lot of experience. Both of those things are good. For a center, I don't know how he's going to translate to the NFL. I haven't watched enough of his tape to really get a good sense of it. But the general concept of what Alan Ali is with a good camp, he makes the roster. And I think he makes it over Austin Schlotman because he has that guard versatility where Schlotman, I don't believe, does. Right. And you'll you'll end up saving a few bucks on the salary cap, too. It's like, and you can still I keep Reed if he sticks as guard slash center. As well. And he'd be the yeah. third. 
I'd love to see Ali back up, be good enough to back up Bradbury. Absolutely. That means once Bradbury's cheap contract is up, we can move on and hopefully something better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this interior offensive line group is going to be very interesting. Um, but yeah, that that's our show, guys. Um, I'll answer Patrick's question. If I ever adopted the dog last week. Well, we have a programming note. Um, we're going to get the dog next week and there's a chance that Monday show will not be live. So that there because will be a show getting the dog on Monday mm-hmm. at the same Very time. Excited. Her name is a Claire. She's six and she's a, she's a, she's a breeder release. Um, meaning that they use her to breed and then they give her to a rescue to find a forever home. Um, and we had a chance to adopt like a five month old puppy. Um, that was a, like a, a, a pity mix, but I, I just, I think it's, it's just better to give like an old, like an older dog, a good last few years than to get a puppy. Anybody can get a puppy, but I'm, I'm very, very excited. She's a very sweet girl. And once she's comfortable, we've seen videos from her foster mom who, who I've talked to her a bunch. She's really nice. Uh, seeing how she's interacting. She just looks like she's acting like a puppy. She's just having fun and she's got personality. So I'm really excited to see how her and Odie interact and how that whole dynamic is. But yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Um, she's, she's awesome. And it's going to be a busy couple of weeks here. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> but hopefully we get to see her next Wednesday. Week from today, we'll we'll see. Uh, I'll at least share pictures on social media, but I don't want to. I want her to feel have a really good first few days because there's there's the three 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 rule: three days, three weeks, three months of like getting a dog comfortable. After three days, they start to feel comfortable enough in their surroundings. Three weeks, it starts to feel like it's their home. Three months, they own it like it's their home, and that's <laughs> kind of the. That's well, you know what I mean. That's the general construct of acclimating a dog to their new space. The one time we saw her, it was not in her own space. It was at the rescue place, which was fine, but she was uncomfortable there, and you just seemed to see a lot of didn't get to see a lot of the personality. Well, we got to see it, and like I, I was sold then on her, and then the wife was really sold once we saw some of that. So we're really excited. I mean, she's only gonna if we're lucky, she'll be alive four to six years, but it'll be a good four to six years. And, and for me, that that's what matters. It's going to be a good time, even if it's not a long time. Um, and I, I, I I'm not going to say it's like my calling. I, it, it just felt like the right thing. Good. Good. Yeah, good. good. So, yeah. Dogs we're really, excited. yeah, they are. And Odie was so good. We went on three walks today. And he's just been laying next to me being a good boy. I think he just has too, he's had too much energy leading up to these shows, which is why he's been kind of rambunctious. So, but yeah, that's our show. Um, don't forget we have coming up this weekend. We have two old bloggers with Dave and Darren every day. The, uh, we have the Vikings daily opener with where Dave recaps the news from the day. And you're going to get a lot of stuff from quarterback. Um, some interesting clips, some interesting quotes. And as those come out and get kind of exposed and I watch the show, which I've only seen the first episode because 
I'm a busy guy. Um, we uh, but we'll talk more about it. And well, as, we, just, as we were talking in the pre-show, yeah. Peyton Manning running Peyton Manning Productions, who directed mm-hmm. this with NFL Films, it is doing an absolute fabulous job. It, the quality of this thing is outstanding. So if you yes. have Netflix, I highly encourage you to watch it. If you don't have Netflix, steal it from somebody who does. Not that I'm advocating mm-hmm. for that, but yes, go ahead and watch it. And we're going to learn something about Kirk Cousins we didn't know. I did so far. Yeah, um, it's it's going to be good. Uh, we'll leave off with this. Um, I'm trying to find it. Uh, Narcephus, um who saves who? Uh, and I think he's talking about the uh, um, the rescue dogs. No, you're right. You're 100 percent right. It's that she's going to make a bigger impact on me than I'm going to make on her. And I think that's that's going to be so rewarding. And then last thing we're going to talk about before we say goodbye to everybody. Michael asked from one to ten, where would you rate the interior offensive line with ten being the best? I'd give it a six. I'd be happy with an overall six. I think last year was a six. There was obviously some warts, but there was a lot of positive. But so much of last year was just based on learning a new scheme. There's no install this year. It's go. There's continuity. And continuity is so big on the offensive line because you need to understand what everybody's doing next to you. You need to have that chemistry, especially on stunts, to pass it off. Like, oh, Ingram's got a guy in his face. Oh, but there's a looper and O'Neal needs to see that with the guy that he's supposed to block the five tech and see that looper come around. You need to be able to do those kind of pass offs. Those are important. And having continuity is such a big thing with doing that. And I'm very excited to see where this goes next week. We're going to start talking defense, defensive line and edge rushers will be separate. And I'm working on bringing in somebody to talk about coverages for the Minnesota Vikings to get a give us a better sense of what things are happening. Like what, what you call it? Um, what the Vikings will be doing and it, we're going to have some fun and we're two weeks away from camp starting first training camp practice, July 26th. Get excited. Meantime, hey, thank you for joining us. Quarterback here. dropped. You can feel football in the air. Yep. Thank you very much for joining us here today here on Vikings first and school. Please like comment, subscribe, do all the things, help us out, subscribe in your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you're on stitcher, just be aware that that stitcher is going away. So find yourself another podcast aggregator and hit that subscribe button. In the meantime, thank you very much from Dave, from Odie, from Tyler skull Vikings, everybody skull Vikings like subscribe and ring the bell to get notifications. It helps us grow this community that we all love our Minnesota Vikings. And on behalf of Tyler Fornis and myself, Dave Stefano, thank you so dearly for watching The Real Forno Show. Skull, everyone! This has been a Vikings First and Skull production. Part of the Fans First Sports Network.